I want to thank you for listening today. If you have not subscribed to our podcast, please do so and feel free to rate and review us as well. If you live nearby and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come visit us here at Fellowship Bible Church in Jacksonville, Texas. You can connect with us by calling or texting CONNECT to 903-586-6520. If you would like to support the ministry here at Fellowship Bible Church, we would greatly appreciate that as well. To give one time or on a regular basis, you can text GIVE to 903 903- 586-6520. If you live a ways away, we hope you would find a good Bible-believing and preaching church in your area to join and serve in and support. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great week. If someone were to come up to you and say, I've got good news and I've got bad news, Which do you normally want to hear first? A lot of bad news, folks, right? That's me too. And uh, you may have the same reason for that. I'm, I'm hoping that the good news to follow will outweigh the bad. And at times that that happens, but that's not always the case, right? Let me give you a few examples. I had fun thinking these up. What if someone were to, to tell you, I've got, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The bad news is, last night during that terrible storm, a tree fell and crushed your brand new car. But the good news is, you finally got that ugly looking tree out of your front yard. <laughs> Doesn't really happen, does it? Bad news is, you're fired. Good news is, you now have time to travel around, visit friends and family. How about this? The bad news is you have cancer. Good news is you don't have a cold. (laughs) Bad news is someone stole all your credit cards. Good news is while it's empty, I found your wallet. Yeah. You see, at times the good news doesn't cancel out the bad, but sometimes it does. We are going to learn this morning that while there is bad news in God's message of salvation, there is also great news. And and the great news about this great news is that great news outweighs the bad news. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This morning we are continuing our series that we started last week entitled The Five Alones of Christianity and And many of you know who were here last week and who have been with us over the past few years. October is a special month for us as believers because at the end of this month, we remember a very important event in Christian history. On October the 31st, over 500 years ago, in 1517, Martin Luther posted a writing on the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, that led to the great... Protestant Reformation. We said last week that we as believers, we as a church, we are a product, a a result, an outcome of this great Reformation that took place. 
The reason why we are here this morning with our Bibles in hand, in our own language, the reason why I encourage you to read and study your Bible week in and week out, the reason why we look to what God's Word says and pattern our lives after the teachings in this book, that all comes as a result of the great Protestant Reformation. And there were, were key biblical doctrines that were reintroduced that had been lost over the years in the church but were reintroduced at this time by Luther and, and other reformers that the church at this time desperately needed to relearn. The church at this time had strayed from the core teachings of Scripture. And so Luther and others like him went back to the Scriptures and they reintroduced these core teachings. Last week, we looked at the Latin sola scriptura, Scripture alone. This morning, we're going to look at what's in the Latin sola gratia, which is Latin for grace alone. This is the teaching that salvation comes by God's grace alone. Plus nothing, minus nothing. We cannot merit salvation. We do not deserve it and we cannot earn it. The church in Luther's day had drifted from this doctrine. And we will learn this morning that many in our day have drifted from this teaching as well. So we are going to discuss this very important doctrine this morning. And to help us understand this doctrine, we're going to be in a very familiar place, Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. Ephesians chapter 2. Like I said a moment ago, in this passage, there is some bad news. The, the news is so bad that it seems as if our situation is hopeless. The bad news that Paul leads with here is that we are a wreck because of sin. But while that's the case, Paul ends with the greatest news imaginable. He ends by telling us that while we are a wreck because of sin, he tells us that we can be saved by God's grace. It's an amazing passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorites in all the Bible. If you were to write a Cliff Notes version of the Gospel, you could not do it better than Paul does it here in these first 10 verses in Ephesians chapter 2. So let's begin where, where Paul begins here with the bad news. Here it is. Point number one, the bad news is this. We are dead because of sin. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, and you were sick with sin. Is that what he says? Say no. You were hindered by sin. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Paul doesn't hold back, does he? He just comes right out and he gives us the worst news imaginable. He begins this passage in chapter by describing our greatest problem in life. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. Here we have the bad news. We are dead because of sin. We, we have said this time and time again in here, but it needs to be said time and time again. Sin is man's greatest 
problem and is the major conflict in our story. All mankind, without exception, is dead because of sin. Go back and reread Psalm 53. Read Romans chapter 3, right? Now, what does Paul mean when he says dead here? Some people hear this, this verse of Scripture and argue, I'm not dead. Not true of me. While I'm not trusting in Christ alone for my salvation, I'm very much alive. I choose, I speak, I will, I do, I'm not dead. Well, Paul is not talking about death in a physical sense, and he's not denying that, that people will and they, they, they choose and they act. But he is, he is talking about living a life apart from God. Life is all about living in relationship with God. So if you are not living in relationship with God, if you're not right with Him, if you are living a life that is opposed to Him, you are not truly living because apart from God, there is no true life. That's Paul's point. You can be living, breathing, doing what you want, choosing what you want, but if you're not in right relationship with God, you are not truly living. And get this, while Paul is talking about death in a spiritual sense, there are comparisons to be made between the two. That's why that word is used. There are comparisons between physical death and spiritual death. For example, in physical death, one is unable to respond in a physical way, no matter the incentive. When you are physically dead, you are dead, you do not respond. Some of you are like, I don't need you to explain that to me, but I need to. Not even, the, not even the tears and cries of your closest loved ones can bring you back from physical death. Spiritual death is similar. When one is dead to God, they are in a fixed state with an inability to respond spiritually. Now notice Paul also says, we believers, we were dead in both trespasses and sin. What do those words mean? Trespasses and sins. We hear them used a lot in, in Scripture, right? But what do they mean? Well, the word trespasses refers to a, a misstep or a, a false step. And the word sin has to do with missing the mark completely. Now, some have taken these words to mean we can get close. When they think about making a false step or missing the mark, they think we can get close to what God wants and there are things that can be corrected on our end so that we can be right with God in our own strength. But what Paul meant by using these words is that we're not just a smidge off. Like throwing darts at a dartboard, you know, and you hit the ring around but you miss the bullseye. That's not what Paul is saying here. The words trespasses and sins in this context mean we are completely off. We are headed in a completely different direction with our sights set on a completely different target. Paul's point here is that we have failed to measure up in any way to the demands that have been placed upon us by God. We have failed to live the way that God has called us to live. We have failed to measure up completely. We have missed the mark completely. Now what's the mark? Where, where are we off here? We, we have failed to hit God's target. What is God's target? Paul tells us, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of what? 
The glory of God. God's glory is the target. That's why we are created, to glorify Him. Paul gives us a great definition of sin here. Sin is a failure to glorify God. What brings glory to God? Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 48, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. Jesus says, what brings glory to God is a righteous life. A, a sinless life that is, that is solely in step with God, solely devoted to Him. Now, now, let me ask you, based upon that mark, anybody there? No. We have not done this, have we? We have missed perfection by a million miles and more. That is what Paul means when he says we are, we are dead in trespasses and sins. Listen to 1 Peter 1.16. For you shall be holy, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We're called to be holy in the world, but not of the world. Completely set apart, sold out for God. Folks, we have not done this. We have missed holiness by a million miles and more. That's what Paul has in mind here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. God calls for us to be holy. He calls for us to be perfect. He calls for us to live for Him and for His glory. That's the target. That's where we have fallen short. That's where we miss the mark. We miss it completely. Now, there are differing degrees to this, right? I would agree with someone who... Who, who argues that there's different levels of depravity when looking at a non-believing neighbor and looking at a serial killer, right? The difference there. Difference in that non-believing, benevolent person, that non-Christian fireman, and that convicted felon. Just like if you were to look at several different dead corpses, you would see varying levels of decay. But that didn't change the fact that they're all dead. You can also look at it in this way. If we were to stand on the shore of the Atlantic and jump out into the water, we're all hitting the water, aren't we? We may hit it at different points in, in, our, in our effort to jump out, but nobody's scaling the Atlantic, right? Same is true for us in a spiritual sense. It doesn't matter the effort one puts in. No one is getting to perfection through personal effort and devotion. Anyone who has ever tried comes up infinitely short. And if you are, you're not living in, in fellowship with God, if you have not exchanged your sinfulness for Christ's righteous life through faith, if you're going at life on your own, trying to carve out your own way apart from God, while you may make a valiant effort in your jump to perfection, you land in a sea of sin. You miss the mark by a million miles and then some. Some of you are like, okay, we get it. Right? We're dead in sin. Why do we have to belabor this point? Because God does. He does in His Word. There is hardly a, a page you can turn to in Scripture where sin is not the focus, and the reason why is because it's man's greatest problem. And it's the bad news in God's story. That's why Paul continues with it. Look at verses 2-4. through four. Notice first he says, 
We walked with the world. We walked with the world. Look at verse 2. Paul says, In which you once walked, following the course of this world. Paul reminds us here that the conflict in God's story and in our story, it precedes us. We came into the world when we started our lives, there was already a course that had been set that is apart from God that we started out on, okay? When our story began, things were already messed up. When, when, when we came into the world, we came into a story that was marked with conflict. story began early on. Toward the beginning, we learn in Genesis 1-2, man, woman had a very good beginning, Created in God's image, both male and female, without sin and right relationship with God. But it didn't take long for all of that to change. Just three chapters in, we learn that, that man rebels. Woman rebels. They rebel against God. And they have passed this sin problem on to everyone else after them. And as a result, every one of us... We, we enter into this world with our hearts set on repeating the sin of Adam and living our lives apart from and opposed to God. David said, in sin my mother conceived me. That's the way of the world. Or the course of this world, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.2. So the first characteristic of an unbeliever that Paul gives here is they follow the course of the world. They walk in rebellion against God. They repeat the sin of Adam in that they reject God's rule and reign and go at life on their own. And we see this all the time, don't we? Everywhere we turn, we see men and women going at life on their own, doing what they want, doing what makes them most happy, doing what's right in their own eyes, following the course of this world with no desire, no mindset to bring glory to God in their lives. Carving out their own way. They may carve out a benevolent way, but they're trying to create significance apart from bringing glory to God. Paul says to the believers of his day and to us today, you once walked in this way, believers. This is how you were before salvation. Secondly, Paul says not only did we walk in accordance with the world, we also walk with the enemy. We walk with the enemy. Look at verse 2. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air here is a reference to Satan. In God's story, we learn that before people rebelled against God, his, his angels, some of his angels rebelled against him. Angels were created beings. Some of them, like us, they rebelled against God, and one of them was Satan. Satan was an angel of God who, who led and is, is leading a rebellion against him, and his influence is felt, it's seen throughout biblical history, throughout Christian history, and today. We see him mentioned at key points in God's story of redemption. We see him in the garden, right? We see him in the wilderness tempting Jesus. He entered into Judas who betrayed Jesus. We're, we're told that he is going to continue to fight and rebel against God until he meets his end. So we have a, a, a real spiritual enemy in Satan. We know he plays a part in our struggles as well. He was there with man and woman in the garden when they, when they fell. Now, I don't want to get Adam and Eve off the hook. They don't deserve to be off the hook, okay? They wanted to eat that fruit. 
They were attracted to it. We're told the fruit was a delight to Eve's eyes. But, but Satan was also there and he was twisting God's words and tempting them to question his goodness. So Satan plays a, a key role in deceiving them and leading them into sin and his evil influence is felt today. And that is bad news. Now, once again, that doesn't get us off the hook either. We can't just say the devil made me do it. He is a cause, a significant cause, plays a part. He's behind a lot of the influence, the wicked influence that we see in our world today. Tempts us to step out on our own apart from God, question his word and doubt his goodness. But, but we also want to do it, right? We do. We, we most want to rebel. Sinners do. Sin, sinners, their, their desire is to, to rebel. This originated, though, with Satan. That's why John says in 1 John 3, 8, that the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He has been in rebellion against God long before any of us. Paul says prior to salvation, we walk with him in sin as well. We were enticed by him. We were influenced by him. We sided with him and we sided against God. So we walk with the world. We walk with the enemy. Third sub point here, Paul says, we walked in the flesh. We walked in the flesh. Look at verse three. Paul says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The reason we are so quick to follow the course of this world, the reason why we are so easily influenced by the prince of the power of the air is, get this, deep down we want to rebel. Some believe and teach that man is inherently good, just forgetful. They believe we mean well, but we're careless. Uh, others believe that, that we're neutral when it comes to sin, and the problem is Satan and his demons are convincing. But you know what the Bible tells us? You know what Paul tells us? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, without Christ, we are, we are dead. We are dead spiritually while we have evil influences all around us in this world and beyond in the spiritual realm scripture is clear that there is nothing good about us apart from god listen to what paul says about it in romans for i know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh jeremiah 17 9 many of y'all have this committed to memory the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We are a sinful people. We have this desire within us to go at life on our own, live life for self, and while the world and the enemy play a part in our wickedness, all they do is bring that wickedness out of us. And because this is the case, notice the consequence that Paul gives here in verse 3. Talk about bad news. Look at it with me, verse 3. He says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and, and, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Bad news. This is the great consequence of sin. Those who do not belong to God, 
who are not trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Those who carry out the desires of the body are under God's wrath. And according to Jesus, if they do not turn, if they do not repent, they will perish. If they don't turn from their sin, forsake their wicked way, and trust in Him alone for salvation, they will perish. Paul says this is where believers were before Jesus and where non-believers are right now without Him. Bad news. We are dead because of sin. There's nothing we can do in our own strength to change things and remove sin. Just like a leopard can't get rid of its spots, we can't get rid of our sin. That's the bad news. Spiritually dead because of sin. Praise be to God. That's just the beginning. That's not where the story ends. While we were dead because of sin, God, because of His great mercy and love, has brought us back from death. God has brought us back from death. He has made us a a new creation. He has raised us up from death. He has raised us up to walk in newness of life while we are dead because of sin. Last point here, good news, we are saved because of God. Awesome. Look at verses 4 and 5. Beginning of verse 4, but God. Stop there, don't pass over that too quickly. I love that, don't you? I'm thankful for that. This passage begins with, and you, and guess what? It's nothing good. It's all bad. And you, bad news. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. Folks, we did absolutely nothing to merit salvation. I mean, just reread verses 1 through 3. Nothing good said about us. We did nothing to earn salvation. We can do nothing to make ourselves right with God. Our only contribution to salvation is the sin that made us in need of rescue. We bring nothing of worth to the table. Yet while that's the case, Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us, even when we were dead spiritually, He has made us alive together with Christ. By His grace, we have been saved. We bring nothing and we do nothing. God brings everything and does everything. That's the gospel. That's why it's good news. We bring nothing and we do nothing. God brings everything and does everything. That's why we enter into this place Sunday after Sunday with joy in our hearts. That's why we're to be lifting up our hearts and and voices and songs of praise to God because of His grace. That's the doctrine of grace alone. We were opposed to God in every way. And our sinful condition was seen permanent, fixed, unchanging, but God being rich in mercy because of His great love, even when we were dead in sin, made us alive in Christ. That is what the Scriptures teach. 
Now, in Luther's day, while the church taught that people were sinners in need of salvation and that salvation was a work that God does, they, they taught that, that there are things that we can do to make ourselves right with Him. They taught that it's faith plus good works that lead to salvation. They had what was called works of satisfaction. Those in the church taught on top of faith, in addition to faith, through performing certain tasks, one could be restored to God and, and enter into a right standing with Him. And even Luther tried many of these so-called works of satisfaction before salvation, and he found them very unsatisfying. It was not until he started to study the Scriptures and teach the Scripture that he came to understand that God clearly tells us in His Word, we are dead. We are dead in sin. We are dead spiritually, enemies of God. Nothing we can do about it on our own. Luther came to this realization by studying passages like this one here in Ephesians 2. But he, he also learned that while we are dead in trespasses and sin and helpless and hopeless on our own, God has made a way for us to be made right with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Luther learned that while we're dead in sin without a hope in the world, God did something about it because He is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He has loved us even when we were dead. God made us alive in Christ. This is what we mean when we say grace alone. Sola gratia. By God's grace alone, we are saved. We are wrecked because of sin. There's nothing we can do to change it. But it also teaches that while we're dead because of sin, we are saved by God, by His grace. Now, how does this apply to us today? Why is it important that, that we spend time today discussing this doctrine? While it was an issue in 1517, surely this is not an issue for us today, right? Well, believe it or not, many in our churches, many... In the world today, they still believe in these works of satisfaction. Maybe not in the way the church was teaching them, but there are some who, who believe that, that man is just sick with sin, misguided, but, but not completely dead. Many believe there, there's something that can be done by us, surely, right? And it's bad for us Westerners, right? We have this mentality, this bootstrap mentality. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and work your way through tough effort out of a problem. You can't do that here. But many believe you can. Many, many think, I'm trying my best to be good. Surely that counts for something. God says in His Word, it counts for nothing. It counts for nothing. We must come empty-handed. Nothing in our hands. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Rock of ages, great line. We must come empty-handed. Or you can't come at all. Maybe you're here this morning for the first time in your life. You've been made truly aware of your, your sinfulness and, and need. Listen, while this passage is, is written in the past tense, the reason why is because 
Paul was writing to the Christians of his day. He's reminding them in Ephesians of who they, they, they were without Jesus and who they now are with Jesus. But listen, if you're not a Christian, if you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation today, this is not your past, this is your present. It's very important that you understand that. This is where you are right now. If you have not given your life up and over to the Lord Jesus, you are dead in trespasses and sin. You are following the course of the world. You are following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience is at work in you. You are living by the passions of your flesh. You're carrying out the desires of the body and your mind. And you are by nature a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. And if left to yourself, you will remain in this state without a hope in the world. Be honest with me for a moment. That's terrible news, isn't it? It's terrible news. Like we said at the beginning, while there is bad news in God's gospel story, there is great resolve, great news. You can move from darkness to light, from death to life today, if you would forsake your way, forsake your sin, and fall at the feet of King Jesus. Christ has come. He's become one of us. Live the perfect life. The life Adam and Eve failed to live. The life we could never live. A perfect life before God for us. And he laid that perfect life down at Calvary for us as our perfect Substitute and sacrifice. He acted as our great high priest and he offered up the perfect sacrifice, which was his own life. He laid his own life down. A perfect sacrifice, a one-time sacrifice for all time so that you and me, if we would forsake our way and believe in him, we could have our sin transferred to him and his righteous life applied to us in faith. Wonderful gift. Great exchange that took place. If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, I invite you today to forsake your sin, turn from your sin, and bow before King Jesus today and be saved. Let's pray together.